As we were prepping for our text this week, Pastor Tim and I were having a conversation about how the transfiguration, which is what we're looking at today from Luke's gospel, is a text that comes and we preach on it every single year, yet it doesn't seem to have that familiarity that something like Easter would have or Christmas. And yet, here it comes every year, right at this time. The transfiguration, let me say that again, the transfiguration of Jesus is found in the three synoptic gospels, the ones of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the ones that take him from beginning all the way to the cross and resurrection. Now, transfiguration is just a very fancy word meaning changed or transformed. And the text found in these Gospels is always recorded as this very quick moment up on a mountain right before Jesus steals his face and sets his steps towards Jerusalem. Steps that will include suffering and abandonment, betrayal, and even death, death on a cross. So it's no accident that we do look at this text each and every year, especially as we begin to head into Lent. Lent, which will start this Wednesday at Ash. On Ash Wednesday, we have services at noon in the sanctuary and tears. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love to see you. As well, I don't know if you can love to see someone on Ash Wednesday. It's really more about repentance and, and turning away from sin. But no better place to be, I guess, on that day than here. But today we're getting that glimpse of God's glory, of Jesus' glory shining forth from his face and it's easy to forget, I think, sometimes with pain, with suffering, when all we see is hurt and loss, the glory of Jesus. And so this quick story comes, I think, at just the perfect time in our text. Now, one of the significant details that make Luke's account a little bit different than Matthew's and Mark's is something that I want to pull out today. See, in Luke's gospel, the transfiguration of our Lord is done in the context of prayer. Jesus goes up to the mountain specifically to pray, and I think this is something that Luke wants us to know, because prayer, in fact, is really a significant theme throughout Luke's two books, Luke and Acts. Now, he has Jesus, Luke does, praying multiple times throughout his gospel. We see it during his baptism, which is unique. See, in Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and as a dove, but only Luke captures him praying during that time. Only Luke captures after he names the twelve apostles coming after a night of prayer. Only Luke captures when, Jesus, when Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, that it is done in the context of Jesus praying. Jesus is praying all the time throughout Luke's gospel, whether he's going out to preach the good news of the kingdom of God in the garden before his arrest or even on the cross, Jesus is praying in the gospel of Luke. And whenever we see Jesus praying, there always seems to be a dramatic encounter of God's presence. And then it comes up again in the book of Acts with the people of God. The early church is praying in the chapter 4 of Acts, and God shakes the air. The centurion Cornelius is praying, and all of a sudden God gives him a vision of calling Peter and telling him to come to his house. Paul and Silas are praying, and suddenly their chains are broken and they're freed from prison. Paul is praying at the very end of his life and has an encounter with the risen Christ. Now, I don't think that every time we're going to pray, we are going to expect to have this dramatic experience where we're going to hear God's voice or some miracle is going to happen. Because more often than not, if you're like me, when you're praying, it's usually accompanied with just silence. 
But the transfiguration in these other scenes remind us and challenge us to maybe seek something higher in prayer than speaking words in the hope that maybe God is listening. But God promises to hear us in prayer. That is not up for debate. That is specifically stated. When we pray, we pray in his presence. We are his children. We are not waiting in line so that when our problem becomes big enough, then we get to speak to God. Or we have to do something in order for God to notice us and then he will turn his ear to us. Whenever we pray, we are encountering the powerful presence of God in our lives, whether his voice speaks to us through a cloud or whether it is silence. Perhaps what is described as the peace that passes all understanding isn't coming in prayer when we get what we want in prayer, but rather is coming through the practice of prayer, the growth that comes in silence and the quiet trust that comes from knowing we are being heard by God himself. That as we pour out our hearts to God, we're praying now in a variety of settings. Maybe we do pray quietly in our closet with the door closed. Or maybe we pray from the silence of our heart or with friends or together in worship. We're praying when we are praising God or adoring Him through our songs. When we're giving thanks and confessing our brokenness. When we are praying for others, we are in the presence of God, encountering and coming to Him. Responding to what He has done in our lives what he is doing in our lives. Prayer is about coming to the Lord in trust and gratitude. And it is very clear that prayer is never to be something that we might get around to as a disciple of Jesus or as an afterthought. Prayer is an essential piece of participating in this kingdom life. We must constantly be coming to our Lord in prayer. We pray those names together. And I get it. I know they've been long in the past. Why do you think we do it? Because we truly believe that we are bringing those names of those who are hurting before the Lord, laying them right there and asking for His healing. We sing these songs. Why? Because we are praying from our hearts, singing with our voice, not because we're great singers and want to hear ourselves, but because we cannot help but give praise to what God has done and is doing. We pray as one heartbeat the Lord's Prayer so that our individual hearts will be united one to another and become something bigger than just our individual needs, but rather we go to the Father together. Maybe, just maybe Luke is trying to get us to see that prayer is something that transforms us. And as we get into our text, we can pull out our Bibles. Now we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. You can follow along with me on the screen, or if you've got your Bibles, you can make notes into it. And we're going to take a look at this story of Jesus. Now about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James. Did you check? Did you get that? Isn't it always Peter, James, and John? Look at this. It's a little bit different here. Isn't that cool? With him and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. 
the inner three, Peter, James, and John, see I did it right there, are thinking that, hey, this is just going to be a mountain trip up for some prayer. But instead, what comes is Jesus changed and the shining forth of his glory displayed right before their eyes. Now, Luke says lightning. Matthew says his faith shine like the sun. Both Matthew and Mark use this word transfigured. That's where all of this is coming from, describing that this brief moment, Jesus took on the appearance of more than just a humble man, but showed that he was the king of glories. In fact, some commentaries go so far as saying that this is not a new miracle, but rather was a temporary pause of the ongoing miracle, which was Jesus never showing his glory which is crazy to think about. But I think we've become maybe kind of numb to Jesus doing cool stuff. And we don't want to lose the glory and wonder of his face shining like lightning. Because it's so much more than just shining. See, in the section before this in Scripture, Jesus is describing himself as the Son of Man who's going to come in glory. And the son, of a man, the son of man is a term that was used by the prophet Daniel, writing about how the ancient of days took his throne and his clothing was white as snow. See, there's no mistaking here in this little moment of Jesus looking and shining so brightly. This is the clear declaration that this man is God. He is God. Clear, simple. Nothing like this has ever been seen before, and we will not see it again until his second coming, or we see him shining face to face. And while they're up there, two men, Moses and Elijah, appear in glorious splendor with him, talking with Jesus, speaking about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, this is just a little side note because I get this question a lot. The fact that they recognize who these two guys are kind of gives a little bit of evidence that when we get to heaven, guess what? We're going to be able to recognize others. We're not going to have to wear name tags, which I think is actually kind of cool. Now, if you're wondering, but why these two guys? Why these two particular from the Old Testament? What about Abraham? Why not David or Solomon or Joshua or Joseph or Daniel? Well, some say maybe it's because Moses and Elijah represent those who are called up to God, right? Moses represents those who die and go to glory, and Elijah represents those who are called to heaven before they die. Now, traditionally, it's been taught that Moses is representing the law here and Elijah the prophets. So really, the sum of the Old Testament revelation is meeting us in Jesus at this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. All of Jesus' life and mission are the fulfillment of God's plan throughout Scripture from the very beginning. But I think what's more important than why these guys is what they're talking about. They're talking about his departure, about his death. It seems that in this glorious moment, this moment of splendor and excitement and joy, Moses and Elijah are more interested in the working out of God's plan through Jesus about what he's about to do in Jerusalem. It's almost as if we can see them talking, Moses saying, are you really going to do it, Jesus? I offered to be judged in the place of these people and God wouldn't have it. Can you really go through with this, Jesus? We know the answer is yes. We just saying he stands in our place. He has borne the punishment of our sin. Jesus alone is the sacrifice for us. No one else can do what he did. 
Maybe Elijah said, you know, I was persecuted, Jesus, terribly by Ahab and Jezebel. And I hated, I went into a deep, dark, spiritual depression. Are you sure, Jesus, that you can do this? And we know that he does. That he takes the cup of wrath and drinks it. That he experiences God's face turning from him. So that we never have to. You know, we don't get this in the translation, but departure here is really better translated exodus. Like a new Moses, Jesus is bringing about a new exodus, bringing about deliverance, but not from Egypt or Babylon or Rome, but deliverance from the real enemy. And that deliverance does not come through plagues, but by the or by the death of those who enslave us, that deliverance comes by the death of God's own son on a cross. And by his death and by his resurrection, Jesus opens up the way like parting of the Red Sea for his followers by faith in him to be freed from sin, from devil, and from death. Peter, his companions, they're sleepy. Aren't they always sleepy? Always falling asleep, these guys. But when they become fully awake, awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men are leaving, Jesus said, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying in parentheses. Like many of us do, Peter makes trouble when he speaks, not knowing what he said as they're leaving. But one thing here is very clear about Peter. What he said, he said because he didn't want the scene of glory to stop. Now, a little more context here. In each of the accounts of the transfiguration, Jesus states six days before this, right before it as you're reading along, that the Son of Man must suffer and die. And that his disciples must pick up their cross and follow him. In fact, Mark tells us, which is traditionally told from the perspective of Peter, that Jesus goes as far as rebuking Peter for talking this way, saying, no, 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 you don't want to die, Jesus. That's not a good idea. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have the ways of God, but the ways of man on your heart. Look at the difference in how Peter responds in these different situations. Suffering? No, 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 we don't want that, Jesus. Glory? Hey, let's hang out here for a while. This might be cool. I'll even build some shelters. We can stay a long time. I brought some marshmallows, some uh, graham crackers, s'mores. It'll be great. Forget suffering. Forget pain. Forget death. And I get that. We have been called to choose to pick up our cross. You have been called to choose to embrace suffering. Last week, you were called to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. You are called as a disciple to deny yourself, to not seek yourself first, but the ways of God. Because this is what Jesus does. That he would humble himself to the point of death, death on the cross. See, Peter's suggestion really means that not only does Jesus or should Jesus stay and avoid the cross, 
but this way he can too. So maybe you understand him asking that. Maybe like me, you get that. I don't want just a season of glory or a moment, Jesus. I want to stay in it. I want to stay where it's easy. I'm tired of how hard everything is. Text goes on to say that while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. They were afraid. Voice from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Disciples, they keep this to themselves. They don't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is my son. Listen to him. See, this voice is making things very clear. Whether it's glory or suffering, whether it's Moses or Elijah, the son is what matters. Jesus is what matters. Moses and Elijah were great men, each having an important place in God's unfolding plan. Yet compared to Jesus the Messiah, they were insignificant, seeking a life of glory and trying to reject suffering. In response to Jesus, it is all insignificant because nothing compares to him. Think about every song that we have sang today. The name of Jesus, power in his name, stand in his name, give all praise and glory to his name because nothing else is more important than Jesus. In fact, I'll go so far as saying the values and the law and the teachings are not as important as Jesus himself. Think, if Moses and Elijah represent the law, represent the prophets, and if you put them on the same value as Jesus, what are you going to get? Look at our world. Look at what happens when the law is the greatest thing. War breaks out. Greed erupts. Corruption is everywhere. There is brokenness when we only rely on the law. And look at the place of prophets in our society. Who's listening to anyone that says the world itself is dying and being ruined? How can we trust anything that is being said when everything is declared false or misinformation or that we all have our own truths or, or that there's a secret agenda that we don't know about and we're just going along with it? Christ has to be the focus. There is no other solution. There is no other hope. When the cloud disappears, what remains is Jesus. Friends, it has got to be more than just knowing about the good news of Jesus. We are to hear it and to live it. This is what the text makes clear. This is God's Son. Listen to Him. Because we live in a time where the earth is trying to satisfy our heart. The world is telling us that God is not real or faithful. We are trying to be blinded by, by, by all of these things so that there is no goodness or presence of God left. And yet he shines through. The glory of the Lord shines through. The presence of who Jesus is shines through in the brokenness of your life. 
the Apostle Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Teach, admonish another with wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Friends, we go over this story every year, and the message will never change because the Word of God covers us, covers our brokenness. The Word of God calls to us, beckons us, come and hear the promises of hope, the promises of renewal, the promises of being found, of being known. The Word of God is supposed to surround us and above all, (laughs) Jesus. Jesus is what is needed. You know, Peter, James, John, they have this awesome experience. The other disciples didn't get it. But friends, they still followed Jesus, did they not? We may not encounter Jesus in a cloud or hear God's voice speak, but that's not going to stop us from picking up our cross and following him. For we are confident that we are going to experience peace and experience love. We are going to experience hope beyond whatever difficulties come in this journey that is life. And don't you ever forget that it is not an accident that St. Luke included and highlighted prayer in all of this. Because whether you are on the mountain or in a moment of glory or you are in a season of suffering, He is with you. He is with you. And when everything clears, I promise you, what remains is Jesus. His word, His spirit, His love remains. Cling to that truth. Hold to that truth. And leave here in that truth. Lord, bless you. The Lord, make his face shine on you. The Lord, let his favor rest on you. And know that you belong to him. The name of Jesus written on each of your foreheads received in your baptism. That is who you belong to. Let's stand and sing this last song as we have a final song before we head out into this week in the name of Jesus to do what it is that he calls us to do.